When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today is the last Sunday before my sabbatical. Um, What that is, is every seven years, clergy in this diocese are offered this opportunity to stop kind of doing the tasks of their job at a church and focus on things that are personally and spiritually enriching for about three months. Uh, I was going to take it about a year and a half ago when it came due, but everything was going on at the church that I decided to um, wait a little bit and realize there's probably never a good time to get away. So now's the time and starts uh, this next week. In the meantime, I'll probably be posting and making Dear Padre. I find it helpful to process things out loud. So maybe you'll get to see updates if you're a subscriber. Thank you for all who support this podcast and all the ways you do. By sharing it with other people, that's really the, the main way to support this podcast. And I'm thankful for you. But I'll be doing a little bit of traveling, a lot of parenting, a lot of studying, and hopefully some writing of two books that I'm trying to work on for a long time. and need to get, get, get them finished, or at least halfway finished, because you can get a lot of things finished that are halfway finished in life. But thank you for listening to this, and I'm glad you're here. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. It's often said that Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus wasn't a Christian. In fact, I heard that yesterday from someone, a very intelligent person who had thought a lot about religion and its interplay in public life. But I hear this a lot, and there's a certain truth to it that Jesus was not a Christian in the sense that Jesus was not a Christian sort of the way that people are Christians today, a distinct religion with certain beliefs and principles and other baggage that comes along with that. Uh, Jesus 
was outside of that. And many have projected lots of things upon him, but ultimately he did not see himself as a Christian. Now, there's truth to that, as we said, that um, we, when we meet Jesus in the Gospels, which is the only place we can meet Jesus, really to know anything about Jesus, you have to meet Jesus in the Gospels. If you meet Jesus as an abstract religious figure, uh, you're still meeting Jesus in the Gospels because that's kind of all we know about him. There are so other records of Jesus that the Romans uh, talk about Jesus here and there, a guy named Crestus they talk about um, not too long after his death. But really any reference to Jesus after that is our people reflecting on the material that are from the four Gospels. And maybe there's other stories of Jesus floating around in early Christianity, but ultimately the material from the Gospels, the written words about him, are the only source of knowledge about him. So to be a follower of Jesus is to have a reverence or respect or interest in the Holy Scriptures, the four Gospels that talk about what he said and what he did. And so suddenly we're kind of getting a little more religious when we talk about Jesus, no matter how we talk about him, and that we have a sacred text that we have to take seriously and traditions of how to read that text and even understanding of how the different texts about him interplay with each other. Suddenly we are not just seeing a face in a cloud or something. We are actually having to engage with something that, like a lot of things in life, has a tradition and has a, a basis of belief. So Jesus did not was not a Christian, certainly sounds better than that they was, but also isn't true. When Jesus was in the four Gospels, Jesus is clearly starting a movement. He is clearly gathering disciples to live out his mission after he's gone, which he says he'll be gone quite often. And so when he gathers his disciples here in Caesarea Philippi, this convergence of world religions where you have the caves of Pan, the god of, of uh, the god that can cause panic in an enemy, Pan Ick. Um, he can cause that and make the troops run away with his pipes that he plays, or other world religions that have gathered there in this very cosmopolitan Roman city along the coast. Uh, there are lots of people saying, uh, "Who is what?" And Jesus asks them, "What do they say?" the Son of Man is? This is a dangerous question to ask about yourself. What are people saying about me? Um, what are they saying about you, if they're thinking of you at all? When you cross their mind, what's their, what are their thoughts about you? And the disciples have a lot of theories of what people are saying. They know what people are saying. Some say it's John the Baptist. It, Jesus somehow is John the Baptist and that John the Baptist didn't die, he just turned into Jesus, or he did die and sort of came back as Jesus or something else. Hard to know what they mean by that as he's been executed. Others say he's Elijah. These prophecies of Elijah coming back before the end of the world are definitely part of Judaism at the time of Jesus, that 
he is calling for Elijah, they say, when he's on the cross. Um, leaving a space for Elijah at the Passover Seder seems to be a practice going back to this time. Elijah is taken up in a chariot into heaven, chariots of fire. Dun, 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 And so he is someone that hasn't died in the traditional way. Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, that they could not conceive in their minds, many of them, that Jesus was Jesus. Jesus was exactly who he was himself. And that is the conundrum of every human relationship. When we meet somebody, however we meet them, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's work, whether it's whatever, neighbors, we are projecting upon them everything we know about people like them, generally speaking. We bring all of our experiences of every other person that kind of fits into some sort of demographic that they inhabit, and we assume that they are like that other person or other people. Um, we meet someone from South Africa, and we think of all the other South Africans we know and expect them to sort of be like them in some ways. Um, this is normal human patterns. I, I use South Africa because I was, well, in our long run yesterday, um, there was someone who had lived in South Africa and someone whose family was from South Africa, and we talked a lot about South Africa. And I was thinking about that, and the few South Africans I've known over the years, I was thinking about them while we were talking and sort of projecting what I, little I knew about them onto these two people who really weren't from South Africa. Anyway, you see how this works. We are always assuming that, that things will fit into our categories for other people. And we have made everyone John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And we do that to Jesus as well. We take that childhood religion that many of us had to some degree or another, and we project that on the Jesus that we meet in Holy Scripture. We project that on the Jesus that we meet in the Christian community. We, we project that onto the actual Jesus, and it's not Jesus. It's something else. It's our construction of what he ought to do for us or do in the world. And we do this with other people too. And it always results in missed connections, unfulfilled feelings, always results in disappointment because no one will ever be who we think they ought to be. They will be themselves. And that is actually the crowning achievement of every human life in God is for you to be yourself. If you can get to that place where you can truly be fully alive in yourself, not chemically altered, not altered by other people's expectations for you, not hiding in a shell, not performing some feat or personality trait that you think will make others like you. If you can actually be yourself with all the love that you have and all the hope that you have and all the um, just reality of your life and existence and how God made you, if you can pull that off for a little bit of time in this world, you are a great success and nothing can hold you back. 
That is ultimately what people in great hardship have discovered. The early Christians discovered that when they were put on trial, that the best thing to do was to just say exactly what they thought and believed. And they were witnesses to that truth of who Jesus was. Everybody's saying stuff about Jesus, who he is and what he isn't. And Jesus turns the question around to Peter. But who do you say that I am? And this is the only question that matters in life. It is the only one. Who do you say that I am? doesn't matter what other people say or think or feel or decide. It matters what you think. The God of the universe waits for Peter's answer. I think of another moment where an answer was waited for in the incarnation where the Holy Spirit comes to Mary and the angel announces to Mary what God has asked Mary to do. And then there's this waiting for her answer to say yes or even no, but it's still an answer that God is in relationship with us. And that means that God waits and listens and maybe even hopes what we will decide. But who do you say that I am? That Jesus is even interested in this question points to the fact that he is in relationship with us. That it is a two-way street. That it is a dialogue. It is a back and forth. It is a mutual appreciation society. That God wants to know us. And that's why following Jesus is so different from so many other ways of self-improvement in this life. That ultimately, it is knowing a person. Ultimately, is knowing a person that loves us. And that is very different from every other program we might try. Simon answers, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It comes right out of him comes from the core of his being, from what he knows about him. Here is a statement of faith that Jesus blesses. He says that this is a revelation from God in heaven, and the church will be built on him, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, we might see this as some sort of institutional kind of creation here. And the church has often used this to show how powerful we are and the powers we can wield in heaven and on earth. And that you ought to listen to whoever's in charge of the church. But Peter is standing as all of us, the disciples of Jesus here. He is, in fact, embodying all of what God wants in the relationship with us. And that is not that Peter is the last one to say this, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, or Peter, is the first one to say this, and everyone will say this. Everyone must say this. Every single person down through Christian history, from Peter, who is the rock upon which the church is built, will have to say this and believe this, you and I and everybody else, ultimately. Because... It's deeply personal. This is not the last time someone has to confess 
a personal connection with Jesus. This is just the beginning of it because this is the pattern of what the church really, really, really is. And you are part of that. And this is the miracle on the earth. And if you believe this today, or if you're open to believing this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, if indeed he is God incarnate, if indeed he is this one who has been sent to show us what love is and how much God loves us and to reconcile us who have wandered and strayed far away in our obsession with violence and exploitation. Ultimately, if you are saying this today, you are just as much a rock on which the church is built as Peter. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What are the gates of Hades? They are doubt, discouragement, fear, the fear that leads to trying to take more than we need, the fear that leads to trying to exploit others, trying to hurt others to gain advantage, the fear that leads to all the the maladies of human existence and poverty and scarcity and brutality and all these other things that we think will make us better. All of that is the gates of Hades, and none of that can prevail against the church no matter what happens. The church is not bound by the present realities of time and space. Whether it's money, are we going to have enough money? Are we going to have enough people? Are we going to have enough whatever, credibility in the community? None of that matters as much as being on the rock, as being someone that Jesus has said, God has revealed this to you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And that means you have power to loose the blessings of heaven on real people here and now on the earth. And you have the power to withhold that as well. This is what the church has in its power, the power to love, the power to unleash the love of God on the world, to show as a sign that God is reconciling all things to God's self, that there is no one outside of God's love, that everyone deserves a second chance, a third chance, a 70th, 70th chance to be reconciled, to repent, to come home. Everyone deserves this. This is the message of God in Christ. And then he tells them not to say another word about it. He sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. This is how Jesus works. Now, we should tell people Jesus is the Messiah, but there is that is kind of pointless. The point of this is that they know it. And that is all that matters. Again, this is not about how to get the marketing campaign started. This is about how to know his disciples and how his disciples will know him. Because that is the thing that will last beyond his death, beyond his resurrection, beyond his ascension into heaven. That is the one thing that will carry Christians through the depths of the earth, through the catacombs, through the persecutions, through all the hardships of property being confiscated and their bodies being torn apart and their their lives being attacked by lions in the amphitheater. That will get them through all of this. It'll not be their marketing campaign or the popularity of the movement. It'll be the fact that they know they are loved 
with an everlasting love, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that we are part of that relationship now, the relationship that allows us to be exactly who God says we are, beloved children of God, that we are wrapped in God's arms of love, and that will get us through, not any announcement, not any not any billboard, not any commercial, nothing else, but this relationship with God, a love that will never let us go, that which is bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and what is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, that you will be the agent of God in the world to share the love of God. You have a chance to do that today. Go towards love. Go towards love. God will be there when you get there. Amen. Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples, to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.